Hallelujah. If that's your testimony, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Are you glad that Jesus stepped in and made a difference? Let's give Jesus great praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated here tonight. Thank you for, amen, worshiping the Lord. Amen. It's great to worship together. Nothing like it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So thankful to be in God's presence. I thought as I looked out there and it was raining, I was kind of hoping I would be at Noah by then when I see it raining. But, no, I thought tonight's a great night to teach a Bible study. Amen. So we're going to get into the word of the Lord, and we're going to, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna grab uh, the scriptures. I want to say it is so good to have Sister Marissa with us from Rialto, California. This is one of my wife's best friends, and uh, we, we, have, we have always enjoyed every time she comes to visit. She helps sing on Sunday, and uh, we're so glad she's here for the next couple days. Amen. And I also want to say it's good to have Richard back in the house of the Lord with us. God bless you. Amen. I, look, I saw Brother Ephraim step back in the house of the Lord as well. Good to see you, man. Praise God. And so we're going to get into our Bible study as Brother uh, Dixon pulls up this chart. Amen. We want to recap. Uh, now, I didn't get any questions this last week, so I must have taught really, really good. I don't know. Either I taught really good or people didn't want to ask any questions. I don't know. Uh, and so uh, we're going to just kind of recap. Last week we start, we got into our Bible study and we were talking about choice. And so, amen, we're going to uh, go into this and kind of recap that a little bit for those that maybe weren't there or those that need a little bit of a reintroduction to this. We talked about the concept of dispensation. A dispensation is a season of time in which God deals with man in a particular way. There are seven dispensations in the Bible. Each of these, there are promises and there are requirements. God makes promises and then he has requirements that he places on mankind. And so anytime that you see a dispensation, you will find there are promises by God made and there are requirements God has on man. This arrangement is called a covenant. Everybody say covenant. Amen. The first dispensation is a dispensation called innocence. This is referring to man's original condition. God deals with man's sin in the dispensation of innocence with this. There was no sin. They were innocent. So that's how God dealt with them. He gave them uh, this beautiful garden. Here's the promise, if you could put it into these terms. He gives them a beautiful garden, and he plants them in this beautiful place, eastward in Eden and says you may have everything that I planted it's all good and it's all for you there's just one requirement I'm going to make of you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so they were completely innocent Genesis 2 and 25 says they were both naked the man and his wife and they were not ashamed there was no shame in this dispensation of innocence so to recap why did God Put a tree in the middle of the garden and tell man not to eat of it. To give you and I a choice. Amen. This is, and, I, and, and some people, I, I know that. 
This is one of the most fundamental doctrines of the entire Bible. And you would be shocked by how many religious organizations and denominations teach opposite of this. They teach things like predestination. Now, I'm not talking about the biblical concept of predestination in the sense that God has always predestined that he would have a church. Amen. Now, that, 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 that choice is still there on whether or not you want to be in the church, whether or not you want to be part of the body and part of the bride. But there are people that would get up and say, no, you're saved, you're lost. You're saved, you're lost. And there's nothing you can do about it. That goes against the fundamental teaching of the Bible. So I am going to harp on that a little bit and reiterate that you and I have a choice. Every person in this building has a choice. If you, if you don't, uh, maybe you're not, maybe you weren't raised in any type of religion, you would say phrases like this. Well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It is what it is. That's just my luck. Anybody ever said that? What you don't know is you are, you are believing in a false teaching that is contrary to the scriptures. Everybody say the word faith. Faith is not a Christian ideal. It is not a biblical ideal. Faith is a Grecian ideal, the three faiths. It is a mythology that there were three beings that were cutting away at your life, and they were cutting ropes, making choices for you. Now, here, how does this play out in life when somebody doesn't believe they have a choice? They let life happen instead of making life happen. Everything happens to me, and it's not my fault uh, because it's just how I was fated to be. Amen. And so the danger with that is that when the time comes for you to make a change and make a choice, you don't feel empowered to do that. But when you go back to the fundamental Bible teaching that you have a choice, it does not matter where life takes you or where you end up. You can choose to move out of that, and God will empower you with choice to move out of that. Amen. And so uh, now when it comes to choice, some people would ask this question. If, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? Well, because of choice. Amen. We always want to point the finger at God and say, God, you're the reason everything's bad. I want to, I want to help somebody. God's the reason that it's good. <laughs> Amen. God's the only reason that it's good. In fact, somebody would go and say, they, they'd go, well, uh, you know, if God's so good, why is there so much evil in the world? Because people are in the world. Have you met people recently? Have you, and I, have you looked in the mirror recently? We're, we're kind of, you know, if we really look at ourselves, you know, don't catch me on a prayerless day. <laughs> Amen. Somebody said, you, I, you know, I'm a professional, but I can get hood real quick. Amen. And so why is there, we always want to point the finger and say, God, it's your fault there's evil in the world. People want to blame religion. They say, well, it's, it's religions that cause wars in the world. Well, religions are made up of people. So there's war in the world because of people. What about starvation? Well, because there's somebody that's got food and they don't want to give it up. They made a choice to be greedy. Amen. We want to say it's God's fault and uh, never take personal responsibility. And that's the other fundamental problem with people not believing in the biblical ideal called choice is it's always everybody else's fault. And I have no personal responsibility. Therefore, life just happens. And uh, if it happens, good, great. But if it doesn't, it's got to be somebody else's fault. And, uh, but when we recognize that we have a choice, God will not take your choice from you. 
Nowhere in the Bible does God take a choice from somebody. He created the birds, the trees. We talked about all of this. And everything does exactly as it was created to do. Studying in the book of, uh, of, of Psalms earlier today, it talked about how, how the sea roars because God made it to. And all these things happen because God made them to. And yet you and I are sitting here today uh, because we chose to be in church tonight. And there's people that have chosen instead tonight to sit on a bar stool. What's the difference? We just made different choices. Amen. And so we have the ability to make a choice, but nobody forced you to make that choice, both good and bad. And God will not take away your choice, which means you and I have the potential within ourselves to look at heaven, shake our fists and say, I hate you. I don't like you. I don't believe in you. God, in his love, gave us the opportunity to reject him. That's the only way choice actually works. Amen. And so God will not revoke choice from us. And I talked about it the other day using a biblical example of the wild man of Gadara. That the devil cannot control your choice. I'm setting it up for what we're going to talk about today. The devil cannot. Everybody say cannot. He cannot control your choice. The devil cannot. You know the old phrase, the devil made me do it. I know you might have used that a couple times. The devil can't make you do anything. He can't make you lift up your hands. He can't make you take your hands down. He can't make you shoot somebody. Amen. He can't make you give 100 bucks to somebody. He can't make you do anything that you have not enacted your will to do. Wild man of Gadara, possessed with legion of devils, thousands of devils, ran several miles down the mountain out of the tombs and the caves where he was crying and cutting himself. He ran all the way down, fell at the feet of Jesus, and began to worship while he was still possessed by devils. Amen. I want to tell you, there is no devil that is more powerful than your choice. I'll say it again. There is no devil more powerful than your choice. And when you get this revelation, that means it does not matter what situation I'm in. There is no situation more powerful than my choice. There is no devil more powerful than my choice. That being said, there's some things that happen because of the choice of others. Now, we could talk about that. We could, we could get together and we could kind of say we don't like that. Uh, but, but here's the beautiful thing about it. Although you, weren't, you didn't get the choice to be born into a particular family, you have the choice on what you will do with the life that was given to you. And the, well, I didn't choose this to happen to me. I understand. But now you have a choice to what you will do with it. Will you turn it into a testimony for God? Will you turn it into a worship and a praise of what God can do? Or will you use it as an excuse to not move forward in life? Amen. So we have a choice. Adam, Adam and Eve's obedience was tested with the trees. There's all these trees. And God said you can freely eat of all of them. But there's one in the middle of the garden. Don't eat of it. Because if you eat of it, you will die. Now, really, there's two trees noted that are noted specifically in the, in the book of Genesis. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice how the tree itself was not evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here's my question. What made it wrong? God said... Hallelujah. Because God said, well, I don't, brother, I don't, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, what did God say? In the book of Genesis chapter 1, when God created light, he, the Bible says he called the light good. Amen. 
He called the darkness night and the light day, and the Bible says he called the light good. Hypothetically, God could have said darkness is good, but God did not say darkness is good. He said light is good, which means if God calls something sin, it's a sin. If God calls something wrong, it's wrong. Whether we like it, agree with it or not is irrelevant. The fact that God's word has spoken something to be right or something to be wrong. God is the ultimate morality of the universe. And if God is in his holiness and in his righteousness and in his judgment has declared something is good or bad, he is God. And this is where we trust in his sovereignty. And so Adam and Eve are tested with these trees. Amen. And now tonight we're going to talk about temptation. Everybody say temptation. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go back into Genesis 3 and 1. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn there. If you need help finding Genesis, just turn open about one or two pages into your Bible, and we'll get you there. Amen. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He was more crafty. And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He tries to make God look bad. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat. She's trying to make God look good. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The serpent took the word of God and twisted it. He took God's, God's period and turned it into a question mark. And the thing the devil will use, and this is why it's so important to come to Bible study, to come to church, and to read the Bible. You must, the, the first line of defense against the adversary is you have to know the word of the Lord. And I'm going to prove that here in a little bit. You must know the word of God. It is, the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, but the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You and I are defenseless. We can have faith. We can have salvation. We can have righteousness. But we do not have any weaponry if we do not have the word of God. The, the word of God is more than just a book to sit on the nightstand and collect dust. The word of God is your, is your spiritual weapon that you can use against the adversary. And this is what David said. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not. Everybody say might not. That means there's still a potential. But the potential is a lot lower that I might not sin against you. The only way you and I are going to make it out in this life is if we know the word of God. Because as we will prove through the scriptures tonight, the devil knows the word of God. The devil knows the word of God better than you and I do. And he will twist the word upon us. And this is why we've got to know the word inside and out. Amen. We've got to let the word. The Bible says it is the engrafted word of God which is able to save our souls. We've got to not only know the word and hear the word. We've got to let the word of God get engraved on our heart. And when you get the word of God engraved on your heart and the adversary comes by and says something contrary to the word, you can remind him, no, 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 that's not the, what the word says. That's not what God said. When the devil comes by and tries to convince you God's withholding something from you and God's mean, you can remind him the Lord is good. I know him to be good. His word says he's good. He's been good to me. It's engrafted and engraved in my heart. Amen. The serpent accused God of being selfish, unjust, and cruel. Satan also implied that if Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, she would become like God herself. 
He implied that God was a liar, and Eve began to doubt God's word. Simply by questioning God's word, he got Eve to start to doubt God's word. Amen. And it's interesting to me that this old serpent, this sly devil, would convince Eve that if she, she had to do something to be like God, she was already like God. They were created in the image and the likeness of God. You can't get, you can't get more God-like than mankind. Amen. You, let me say that again. You cannot get more like God than mankind. God didn't make the fish in his image. He didn't make the angels in his image. Amen. He made mankind, male and female, in his image. You are already just being born in the image of God. And the adversary, especially, let me just talk to the women for a moment, will tell you you need to put something on, take something off, paint something on. you got to put extra bling on to somehow be more attractive or more like God. It's a lie that the devil's been spewing out since Genesis 3. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that you're not pretty enough, not good enough. You're created in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all the, everybody said amen to that. Adam and Eve gave in to temptation. They ate of the forbidden fruit. He said, you'll, if you do this, you'll be like God. God's plural. He's the first one to bring up the concept of a plurality of deities. The idea that there's more than one God or that you can be a God is a doctrine of devils. The fundamental teaching from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is there is one God. One God. Not, not, uh, not three gods. One God. And here's the beautiful thing about that. You are not him. <laughs> and I am not him. The beautiful thing is when we recognize there's one God and we recognize we're not God, we know where to go when we're in trouble. We know who we can turn to when we're hurting and in pain. Amen. So verse 6 through 7, if we turn there. Let's talk about this temptation that the devil brought upon her. Amen. Verses 6 through 7 in chapter 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her. Everybody say with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I was talking to Elder Worley on last Wednesday. And, uh, you know, what was, the, what was the folly of Adam? Adam was with her, but he didn't open his mouth. Let me just talk to the men for a moment. You are called, and we are called as men, to be the priests of our home. I thank God for women, and I talked about women and mothers rising up. But, men, we need to be the first ones to say, that's not coming in this house. We're not, we're not doing that in this home. I, it doesn't matter what the world says. You could hate me. It, it doesn't matter. We're just not doing that. We're not going there. We're not watching this. There, there, we, we must be careful that we don't fall into the sin of silence where we don't open our mouth and say something. Uh, because if not, we will be guilty of the blood. Amen. We will be guilty of, of other people. The Bible talks about the watchman on the wall. If he, does, if he sees the enemy coming and he doesn't open his mouth, that he will be guilty. Amen. And that's my job as a pastor. So I know some folks want me to kind of keep silence on some things, but I don't because it is my responsibility to speak when I see the enemy coming. If I don't speak, I'm guilty. And let me tell you, I, I'm not going to be guilty for you. I'm going to tell you what thus saith the Lord, what the word of God says. And it's your responsibility to then go home and fix your home and fix your family and get things right. Because if not, I'll be guilty of the same sin of Adam standing by and letting the bride do something she's not supposed to do. 
So Adam was there and he ate. This is why Paul later talked about Adam and Eve. He said Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. Adam willingly disobeyed. Eve was allowed to be confused. Amen. Now there's speculation that when God gave the original commandment, he only gave it to Adam. You know, that's up for debate. You can read the scriptures, read it however you want. I personally hold to that, that God spoke to Adam and Adam then told it to his wife. And so she was able to be deceived. And but but Adam, he heard it straight from God's mouth. Don't do this. If you do it, you're going to die. And he stood there. And when he saw nothing happen to his wife, he thought, well, we're good. He used his wife uh, as 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 uh, as a guinea pig. Amen. Let her eat of it. Well, nothing happened. Let's see what it is. How do you feel? Feel great. All right. Now give me some of that. He took and he did eat as well. So they are. He is now complicit in this. Trusting the serpent, Eve ate of the fruit, and she then persuaded Adam to take a bite, uh, which I don't think took much persuasion because he was hanging out the same tree with her. I think it might have, it may have even been his idea. Let's go see what that tree looks like. With one act, he severed his relationship with God. Eve was deceived by Satan, but Adam clearly understood the consequences of their actions, and he disobeyed his maker. There were, th- there were temptations in three areas. The Bible so- says that she saw that the tree was good for food. All right, Brother Don, this right here. This is arsenic. This is rat poison. You eat this, you will die. It will kill you. You understand? All right. We all got that object lesson now. God said if you eat that, you are going to die. That's poison. It's going to kill you. And she saw that it was good for food. This makes me scratch my head as a pastor. When you tell somebody it's poison and they start looking at poison with the mist. You ever remember the Mr. Yuck stickers we used to put on stuff? I think some folks need to go around their house and start putting that on some other things in their home. Mr. Yuck, this ain't good for you. Amen. If you don't remember what that is, Google it later. Wikipedia will bless you with it. Amen. But she now looks at this thing that God said will kill you, and she sees it. Brother Don, you better get that in your hands. We're going to talk about temptation. And now it's good for food. And now she sees it's pleasant to the eyes. And it's a tree to make one wise. Brother Don, in just a short conversation, the devil has convinced her it's edible. It is good. It is pleasant for you. It is good for you. In fact, it's not only edible. It's not just like eating something that, that won't, won't kill you. It's not just not poison. It's actually good for you. It's, it's the best kind of food you'll ever have. And furthermore, it's going to make you better. Sounds like a self-help book. If you just take this, you know, it sounds like an MLM pyramid scheme. If you just take this pill, it's going to make you lose 450 pounds. And uh, it's, it's this miracle. It's going to do all this stuff for you. What you don't know is it's just sugar water. It's a placebo. Uh, but the devil's now selling rat poison, and it's going to make you smarter. And he's trying to tailor it to that which Eve will look towards. If you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. That's all the way in the back of your Bible right near the book of Revelation. So if you flip open to the book of Revelations and then turn back about a couple pages, you'll be at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. We're going to notice a pattern here. So she has three areas of temptation, and we're going to read about those three areas of temptation right now. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust of it. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In other words, if you give into the temptation of these three lusts, you will perish and die, just like he said in Genesis uh, chapter 2. If you don't and you do the will of God, you will abide with God forever. You'll live. Okay. So there's three areas of temptation Eve fell into. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She now looking at this as if it's edible, the lust of the flesh. She sees it with her eyes that it's now pleasant for uh, pleasant to the eyes. It's not just something that's good for me to eat. It's not just edible, but it's actually beautiful to look at. Now it's the lust of the eyes. And finally, it's the pride of life that if I do this, I'll be, I'll be equal with God. Amen. And those are the three areas of temptation. Every single person, whether it doesn't matter what it is, you will fall into that category when you're being tempted. It will either be the lust of your flesh, something your flesh desires. It will be something that the lust of the eyes, something that you see with your eyes and your imagination starts to go wild. This is pornography, right? And you start giving into what you've seen with your eyes. Then there's the pride of life. Well, I live forever, so I can do whatever. I can drink this. I can go here. Nobody tell me what to do. No, I don't need any authority in my life. That's the pride of life. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 14. If you want to turn open your Bibles there, you just go back a little further, right next to the book of Hebrews. You'll just take a couple, couple more pages, turning from the book of 1 John. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, but every man, every woman, everyone is tempted. The pastor, yes. The person out there right now in the world, yes. Everyone is tempted. I got good news for you. Jesus was tempted. Here's the best part about that. It's not a sin to be tempted. Let me say that for some folks that beat themselves up for the temptations they do have. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to your temptations. It, let me say that again. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to your temptations. Amen. Everyone is tempted. Now let's read how they're tempted. When they're drawn away of their own lust. That means individually individual lusts and they are enticed by those lusts then when lust has conceived it brings forth sin and sin when it is finished brings forth death let's look at this this progression everyone is tempted how are they tempted individually and how are they enticed by what speaks to them now there's some folks in the house of the lord uh, I, I, use, I use Brother Kevin. He likes stroganoff. He and I have a debate going. I told my wife when we first got married, I said, there's one meal you'll never bring into this home, and that's stroganoff. And liver and onions, I got a few in there. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty adventurous guy, but when it comes to certain things, like don't even, 
Don't even bring it around. God bless you. You can have it in your home and stink up your house all you want. I don't want it. But if I got a nice plate from this spot out in Salt Lake City that he loves of stroganoff and I put it right out here in the middle of the altar, he wouldn't be sitting in his seat very long. And I would probably be out the back door. It would speak to him and call to him and entice to him. But let me tell you, it would not entice me. Does that make me a better person than him? No, it makes me a different person than him. Let me help everybody. Where am I going with this? Just because somebody, you've got to be careful that you're not so critical. We're not so critical of other people. That, well, I never would have fallen to that. Yeah, you're right. You'd never fall to that. But you'd fall to gossip and a bad attitude and a critical spirit. Well, that's my little fishing lure, brother. I'm just putting it out there. I'm pulling it back. Praise God. But there's other things. You know, you won't tempt me with a lot of things. I, I'm not really a stuff guy. I don't really care about stuff. It doesn't really phase me. You drive up in a nice Bugatti. I don't even know if that's a watch or a car. Um, and, uh, but, you know, you, you can tempt me with a nice vacation out of here. I like, I like traveling the world. I like seeing places. I like, I like, you know, everybody's got something that pulls to them. You know, uh, on, on a physical level, there's, there's people in this building uh, that, that there, there are certain things that attracted you, you to your spouse. And you think your spouse, and you should, the most beautiful uh, person in the whole world. I think you ought to believe that. Uh, but there's other people might not find your spouse attractive. And you better thank God for that. You just stay over there. Praise God. But, but those, those things that, that are placed inside of us are not bad. Those, uh, those things, as long as they're not sinful. But there are things, Paul said, that I know that in Romans 7, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Before we start thinking, man, my flesh has got a couple good things. Nothing good. Uh, this is why we believe in prayer. We believe in worship. We believe in fasting. We believe in coming to church. Why? Because it's constantly like sackcloth and ashes rubbing against that nasty old flesh. I love what Bishop Holmes always says. You got to grab yourself by the nap of the neck and say, flesh. You know, you got to tell your flesh, you're not in control. You're not going to tell me what to do. I want to tell everybody, everyone's tempted, but you've got to be in control of your flesh. And I've got to be in control of my flesh and tell my flesh, you're not going to win today. Let me just help everybody. There's not one person in this building is going to be tempted by their flesh to pray. Not one person in this building, man, Pastor, pray for me. I had a temptation to fast. That wasn't a temptation. That was a call of God, and I promise it's not going to come very often. You're going to have to make it up in your mind to fast. Amen. Because I've never one time felt a, felt a proclivity to fast. I've never felt a desire to fast as far as my flesh. Because what is in my flesh? Nothing good. But I have had my flesh rise up with some of the craziest thoughts and the craziest ideas. Let me help everybody here today. We have got to be careful we don't fall into the trap of pride. Pride that says, well, I never thought I would do X, Y, or Z. That is pride. To think that you and I are not capable of the most wicked evil in the world is pride. Every person in this building is capable of the most wicked, vile thing. And if you don't believe that, we'll have another Bible study on this. We, in our sinful nature and fallen nature, are capable of the, didn't say you're going to do it. That's the difference. That's the difference. The choices you make make the difference. But every person in this building, you know, when we think about history, I'm, a, I'm kind of a history buff. You read about Nazi Germany, and you immediately, people that don't know history think that these people were just, uh, were just these uh, evil people with horns on their head. No, they were just normal people living in their country, abiding by their country's laws, and following a wicked leader. 
and, and, and many of them went to the trials, and they said, well, I was just doing my job. I was just obeying orders. Did that make it right? Of course not. Of course not. I'm not advocating that that would be right. But we would like to think they're more evil than us. If the tables were turned and it was America, not Germany, there are people even in our country today, 2020 started showing this on a few folks, uh, that they, uh, let's not shout on that, uh, that, that there's some people that would have turned and done some things that maybe the word of God is against. They to turn on brothers and sisters, and that's not right. And so we are capable of the worst, most vile evil, and we must acknowledge that. And when we acknowledge that, it helps us put our guard up. That means it doesn't matter what thought comes across my head. It is a possibility if I don't make some good choices. And that temptation is a possibility if I let it take root down in my heart. But here's the beautiful thing. If I don't let it take root in my heart, it's not going to win. So temptation comes, and it plays on what would work for you. The devil, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is studying. The Bible says he's a crafty serpent. He is studying his prey, and he is looking, and he's watching every, every day in your life and in my life. He is looking for a way to make you fall. He is looking for a way to devour you. Listen, the worst thing we could do is to think that we are in a time of peace. When we think we're in a time of peace, we start letting our guard down. And if we live for God like we're in a time of peace, as if there's a ceasefire, just because you haven't had the devil attack you in a little while. He's, he's just waiting his time. He's waiting for you to let your guard down. And the moment you do, boom. This is why we can't get comfortable. And everybody said amen. So temptation comes, and that temptation is preying upon your lust, my lust. And then that it implants something. Let me, you know, Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has, con- has committed the sin in his heart. And uh, we've always put it this way. It's not the first look that gets you. Everybody has eyes on their head. And gentlemen, it's not the first look that gets you. It's the second look. It's that look with longing. It's that look where all of a sudden it went from, it went from just uh, uh, 20-20 vision to all of a sudden thinking and observing. And what happens is that's a seed that is now planted in the heart of an individual. And when we, have, when we let that lust we start dwelling on it. This is where temptation really starts to take root in our lives. When it takes root in our life, it starts to sprout. And that lust, let me just put it here, that that lust's entire desire is to kill you. Lust is not our friend. Any kind of lust is not our friend. And that lust wants to get into every avenue. Well, you know, there's some people that would say, well, it's not affecting this part of my life. Yet. It will. It will. It will. Well, it's not affecting my marriage. Yet. It will. Because when it's all said and done, all it produces is death. But I've got good news. Everyone's got a choice. Praise God. She was tempted, and it took the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. You can write that down and read it later. I give you power to tread upon serpents. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 that the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. I want to tell you what it looks like to be a successful Christian. It's when you walk with 
God. And when you walk with God and you don't give in to temptation and you just focus on walking with God, God will put Satan under your feet and he will give you power to tread, to trample, and to stomp on every attack of the devil. There's some people, the Bible talks about this, that when you sin, uh, that when we, when we repent, it's, it works, that sorrow of godly sorrow works repentance. And when you have that godly repentance, it brings about a clearing of the soul. It brings about uh, 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 just a cleansing of your heart. And, it, and the Bible says, oh, what righteous revenge it brings about in you. You know, when you fall, it's a great time to get back up. When you fall, it's a good time to get back up with the intention, I'm never going back to that again. When you get back up, say, devil, I'm going to get you under my feet. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to pray until I feel good. I'm going to pray until I get you under my feet. I'm going to pray until that no longer speaks to me and calls to me. I'm going to pray until the phone and the Internet late at night doesn't even, doesn't even call to me. I'm going to get so a hold of God that I'm seated with him in heavenly places that I'm not coming down to these earthly lusts and these things down here. Amen. Part of the choice is understanding this, that God's going to empower your choice. A, you have the choice to say no at any point, but not only that, now you have the empowerment of the Holy Ghost to say no. That's a double power right there. Amen. You are empowered, endued with power from on high to, to stomp and to tread on every serpent and every lie of the devil. Every temptation the devil brings to you. I want you to know you are capable of it. You are not fated to do it. You are capable of every wicked evil. Am I the only one? Well, maybe I'm giving myself away here. Were you driving down the road and you just this crazy thought like, Right here, I'm just normal, Pastor Hood. Right here, I'm on the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> Nobody? Somebody. <laughs> that, just because that thought's there doesn't mean that thought's taking root, right? Because we're capable of all this crazy stuff. But when you pray and you get a hold of God, God will empower your choices, and he will help you to overcome every temptation. That's what he said, all the power of the enemy. You know the only power the enemy has? Two powers that I find really, I probably find a couple more. Number one, to tempt you. And number two, to condemn you for your choices. So this is the devil. Brother, Brother Don, you still got that poison? Just hoping he's got that poison. He, God says, you eat that, you're going to die. But the devil comes by and says, hey, listen, God's lying to you. It's not true. You're going to be better for it. And you take it and you eat it. You won't surely die. And she takes it and she eats it. We're going to, the logic lesson, he's going to get fresh breath in Jesus' name. But it won't, he said it ain't going to kill you. But I want to tell you, she could have said no. And you can say no. And I can say no. And this is, this is the biggest lie that the world propagates. You don't have any power. You have the power to say no. But man, if you read Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, you'll find the account of Jesus who was driven by the Spirit after his baptism into the wilderness, both Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, parallel accounts. And you will find Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he's real hungry. Amen. And while he is there in this depleted, hungry state, the Bible says, then came the devil. I want to tell you, when you are on fire for God and you are prayed up, the devil's not within a thousand miles of you. He knows he doesn't have a chance against a person that is prayed up, that is seeking God and walking with God. If you are tired of having the devil on your back, it's time to get into a prayer meeting. Amen. 
If you're tired of having the serpent follow you around, it's time to get into church. It's time to get into a worship time. It's time to get into some good preaching. Amen. It's time to get into Bible study. It's time to go share your faith with somebody else. The devil won't come near you because he knows you're too on fire. I'll get burned. But if you all of a sudden get to a place of depletion, which happens not always doing bad. Jesus was doing good. He was fasting. Sometimes you can get depleted doing good. The Bible says that a tactic of the enemy is he will try to wear out the saints of the Most High. That's why Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. It's possible to get worn out doing what's right. You can get worn out doing what's right. And at that moment, that's what the devil showed up. And he tells Jesus the first thing. He comes after the lust of the flesh and says, turn these stones into bread. The temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Turn these stones into bread. Feed your flesh. And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. I want to tell you how he overcame the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. He not only knew the word of God, he was the word of God. And he quoted back to the devil, it is is written. You know what he was saying? It's already been settled long ago that I don't even need this bread to survive, but I need every word of God to survive. Amen. The devil then takes Jesus up to the temple and tells him, if you cast yourself off, now look at the tricks of the devil. You read this as your homework. Read Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 on your own time. Cast yourself off because the Bible says that he'll give his angels charge over you and keep your step, even if you dash it against a stone and begin to trip. And Jesus turns to the devil and says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. How did he defeat the devil? He knew the word of God. We're starting to see a pattern here. And there, there goes. Now it's the, now he's just taken over the pride of life, the pride of life that says, oh, don't worry, nothing bad will happen to you. You know, just one drink, nothing bad is going to happen. That's the pride of life right there. And the devil will get people thinking that, you know, you're, you're going to be just fine. You can, you can step out on God for a little while. Step out on your marriage a little while. You can step out on your church a little while. And everything's going to be just fine. That's the pride of life. All it takes is one drink, amen, and all of a sudden you get in a car wreck that you can't come back from. All it takes is giving into the temptation of the pride of life that says I'll live forever to find out real quick that you can get sick real fast and you can't live forever. The pride of life that looks towards heaven and says I am in control, not you. That's the pride of life. I'm in control, not God. Amen. And finally, the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him all of the world in a moment's time. Now, interesting thought there. If the devil can show you everything he's got in just a moment, he doesn't have very much. <laughs> Some of y'all got more in your garage. It'd take more than a moment to show it to us. But he takes Jesus up to a high mountain, shows him all the world, the kingdoms of the world, and says, all of this I'll give you, but you've got to fall down and worship me. You know what Jesus was really being tempted with? You came to seek and save that which was lost. You came to gain the kingdoms of this world, that the kings of this world would be the kingdom of our, of, his, of, of our God and his Christ. That's what Jesus came for. And he says, I'm going to tempt you at your mission of what you came to do. And I'm going to tell you, you can have this without the cross. You can have this without pain. You can have this without suffering. You can have this without the will of God. And Jesus looked at him and said, it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord God, and him only shalt thou worship. 
And you ready for this? Three temptations. The lust of the flesh, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He showed him. Lust of the eyes. He's everything. Then the devil departed for a season. Temptation comes in cycles. Let me say that again. Temptation comes in cycles. Nobody graduates from temptation. I heard of, a, I heard of an old, older man went to a men's prayer breakfast. He's like 95 years old. And he asked the pastor if he could testify. And the pastor said, yes. He stood up and he said, gentlemen, I turned 95 this year. I just want to let you know I finally beat lust. What he was trying to tell them is you're going to fight this your entire life. Because temptation comes in cycles. And the devil's going to come looking for a door, for a window. The Bible speaks of Jesus. The devil came and found no place in him. I've got a question for us here tonight. If the devil were to show up, what place would he find in your life? If the devil comes into your life with a temptation, what crack have you left? What crack is left open? What door is left open? And tonight, we're gonna we're gonna end there. I want to just remind somebody: you have the power to overcome temptation. Everybody has the power to overcome temptation. God has empowered you to do that through choice alone. But He will empower you even more with the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, it will convict the world of righteousness, of judgment. Amen. It will convict the right world of sin. He will tell you what not to do. He will show you what to do. And he'll show you what the difference between the two is. Amen. God will give you the supernatural empowerment to overcome temptation. But the question still comes, will you enact your will? And will you make choices? Amen. God will, God will convict you. and he'll, In fact, tonight, as we stand all across this building. Amen. As we stand and we think about this, everyone in this building has got a temptation. Some more than others. Does that make you a bad person? No. Jesus was tempted. I'll never forget, I was a youth pastor for four years or so. I had a young man help me. And, and uh, you know, he had, just like everybody else, he had his struggles. But he, he came to me and he said, you know, I, I just can't fight it anymore. Just, I just can't fight it anymore. And I, I looked at him and I said, you know, is it that you can't fight it anymore or you don't want to? And he said, well, I just don't want to. I said, so what you're, what, you're, what you're saying is you're making a choice. I said, here's good news for you. You can change your decision. I want to tell you, you can, you can be worn out and tired, but you still have a choice. And if you will pray, and I want to tell you, there's many, many young people who pray when they're in those moments, and, and other people I work with that prayed in those moments when they didn't feel like they had the strength. And God gave them supernatural strength through the power of the Holy Ghost where they didn't feel like they had the ability. They knew they had the choice, but they didn't feel like they had the courage to make the choice that God empowered them. Amen. I want to tell you, the devil's coming by and he's seeking all the cracks and all the crevices, looking for an open door and an open window. And when he comes to your life, I'm, I promise you, while I'm speaking this word, I feel the Holy Ghost so strongly that God has already revealed to you through the power of the Holy Ghost some, some areas of your life you need to go and fix. You know, we, uh, our, our, our house is on, uh, on, a, on a third of an acre, and it just seems to be the perfect terrain for ants. <laughs> and so uh, every year it just seems like I got, I got a line of sugar ants that just, like, crawl up my, my ceiling. And that lets me know it's time to call the exterminator. 
it's time for him to come. Now, here's the way it works. All he does is he takes his, his, his solution, and he basically just sprays the outside of the entire perimeter of the home. What's he doing? He's making sure there's no crack or crevice. The moment they come in contact with that line, uh, they, they take it back to their nest and it ends up killing the nest. Uh, and, and so when people start seeing the enemy coming like a flood, it's time to raise up a standard against him. It's time to start drawing some lines that maybe, maybe, you were, maybe last year you didn't need this line, but this year you need a line in your life. I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with, with adding convictions. There's nothing wrong with bolstering your line. There's nothing wrong with building a bigger fence in your life. There's nothing wrong with, with making sure that if there's an area of your life where you find a crack, you find a crevice, where the adversary's got free reign, and you know you're being tempted. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, this is a season of my life, I don't need a phone. I'm just being very practical tonight. This is a season of my life, I don't need a computer in the room. This is a season of my life, we, we just need to get rid of some stuff. There's a, this is a season of our life, we need to stop listening to this, watching that, scroll. Maybe this is a season of life, uh, we don't need social media. Can I be very modern? There's just, there's just times where you realize the devil's coming in. See, there's some folks right now, you might, you might realize that every time you get on the Internet and you look up the news, it steals your peace. And it gets you so anxious and your heart starts feeling like it's palpitating because all the bad news out there. It might be a season to get rid of Fox and CNN. Because the devil found a window in your life. He found a door in your life. And your temptation is different than my temptation. But we all have the same remedy. We need the help of God. We need the help of God. Would you lift up your hands all across this building? Yes, we're all tempted. Every man and every woman is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. But I want to tell you, there's a remedy in the midst of all of this. Amen. Eve, you, you, you could have continued walking with God the cool of the day. We'll talk about the redemption process of God next time. But, but I want to tell you, you didn't have to do that. It's not, it's not destined or fated for you to do that. You still have a choice and you still have a will. And the devil might try to tempt and the devil might try to pry. And he might try to find a window and a door. But I want to tell you, Eve, it's time to get into Bible study. It's time to get in the word of the Lord and look back at him and say, Amen, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. I want to tell you tonight, there's people, you've been suffering temptations, but while I've been teaching the word of God, I'm going to tell you there's a supernatural power that's going to be like a fence around your life tonight. I want to invite you down to the front. Let's come and pray. Amen. If there's, uh, everybody's got something in their life, they need God to help them with. Everybody, let's all come. And say, Lord, would you help my mind? There's areas of my life I see that there are gaps in my thinking. There are gaps in my life. Uh, there's gaps in what I look at. There's gaps in what I think about. There's gaps in what I've been reading. And those gaps are where the enemy's coming in like a flood. Come on, somebody needs to come to this front and let the Holy Ghost draw another, another line around you with the blood of Jesus. You need to let the Word of God draw another line around you. Draw another line that says, no, devil, you can't come past this point. Flesh, you, you, you're not going to get that. No, 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 I'm not giving into that direction. I'm not giving into that thought. I'm not giving into that action. I'm not giving into that. Come on, would you pray all across this building in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah.
Amen. I want to tell you, everyone's tempted, but God said he would help everyone with their temptation. Amen. God would, God would already promise in James, uh, amen, that he will not let you be tempted above that which you are able. Amen. But will with the temptation make a way of escape. Uh, I want to tell you, God's going to empower you, even in the middle of your temptations, uh, to get out of it. Uh, God's going to empower you that in the middle of your temptations, uh, he's going to help you to overcome those temptations. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. All across this house in Jesus' name. Savior, I come, quiet my soul. Remember, redemption's here where your blood was spilled. with Tim. 
temptation. He'll empower you over it. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. I feel God empowering somebody to make a good decision. I have the choice. Now God empowering me to make the choice. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to lay this sin down. I'm going to lay this temptation at the cross. Let's lift up our hands all across this building. The only way to conquer sin is to go to the foot of the cross. Come on, the only way to conquer sin is to go through Jesus. Come on, that's it all across this building. Lift up your hands. Come on, let's pray all across this building. It's not a sin to struggle. It's not a sin to be tempted. And God wants to empower you over the temptations and over the struggles. He promised that he would help us. He promised that he would give us power to tread over all, all of the attacks of the enemy. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Whether you are tempted, amen, God will give you power over that temptation. Hallelujah. That didn't mean he's going to take the temptation away, but he's going to give you the power, amen, the empowerment to make the right choice. Amen. And maybe you've given in to temptation. Amen. He will forgive you where the devil tries to condemn you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. feel the Holy Ghost in this building. Praise God. Praise God. You know, there's a, f- a famous phrase. Really, it's a, it's a philosophical ideal. Know thyself. You know, the Bible talks about in James chapter 1, in the same context, it talks about temptation. It talks about the Word of God being like a mirror. Jesus overcame temptation with the Word of God. The devil tricked Eve because she didn't know the Word of God. It's it's showing us a pattern here. If you don't know the Word of God, you're just prey for the enemy. Let me tell you what happens when we know the Word of God. A, it gives us the truth of God's Word. It tells us what thus saith the Word of the Lord. 
But you know what else the Word of God does? It's like a mirror. It gives us the truth of ourselves. And James says, everyone that looks into the, to the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty, the Word of God, is like a man that looks into a mirror. But if we're not careful, we will walk away from the mirror and forget what the mirror told us. Listen, the reason we come to church is so we can get more of the mirror. Right? And the reason we come to the altar is so we can get a game plan about what to do with what the mirror just told us. You know, if, if you're a friend of mine, and we go out to eat, and I get something stuck in my teeth, and you don't tell me, you're not really a friend of mine. Let me walk around, hey, just smile like an idiot. Right? But if you tell me, and I still walk around like an idiot, that's my own dumb fault. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, sometimes that's how it is. We come to church, we hear preaching, teaching, and the Word of God comes by and shows us blaringly a truth about ourselves we didn't want to hear. Pastor, how dare you say I'm, I'm capable of all the wickedness that even, even just like the Nazis in Germany. How dare you? I'd never. Yeah, yeah, let's go back about, you know, 1940, put you in Germany, see what you would do. Exactly what they would do. Because they're human. How dare you say I'm capable of evil? I'm a good person. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what the Word of God says. We are all gone astray. We are all led out of the way. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That means not you, not me, nobody. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How do I know that? That's in the Word of God. Oh, what do I do when somebody's told me, the man of God, and the Word of God, the mirror showed me something bad about myself? Come to the altar and pray, and the Holy Ghost will start telling you, when you get home, start working on this. I'm a big believer in the altar call. I pull an altar call if I teach a Bible study or we're doing a potluck. I'll pull an altar call. But the altar call is just a closer look in the mirror. The real altar call comes when you go home. And you go, I'm going to go fix that. Now we overcome temptation. We look in the mirror and it shows us what thus saith the Lord about his word. And it says, thus saith the Lord about us. And then God empowers us to make choices. See how these Bible studies all lining up? And the Word of God's just so perfect. It just lines everything up. I want to tell you, you have a choice from this moment on what you'll do with what the Word has shown you. And God will empower you. Doesn't matter what the devil tries to do to you and tempt you with. God will empower you over it if you will make the decision tonight and tomorrow to let God help you. Lift up your hands one more time all across this building. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We love your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word has taught us today, taught us about you. And God, I thank you that your word has taught us about ourselves. And I pray, God, that we would leave this building after having looked and taken a close look in the mirror, that we would walk out of this building, not to go back and just be what we always were, but, Lord, to go out of this building and to thank the Word for the advice and thank the Word for the instruction and thank the Word for showing us the areas of our life that we have gaps the devil's tried to come in. And, God, would you empower us to make decisions that will seal up those gaps in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. Everybody say renovate.
renovate Friday night at 7.30 p.m. at Souls Harbor Church in Sparks. Please come bring your shouting shoes. Amen. Bring your fellowship cap. Let's have a great time. In Jesus' name, God bless you.